Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. All right, who's ready to get into the Word of God today? All right, I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to preach. I'm pumped. I just I feel like I need to give you a bit of a, a, bit of a heads up. Um, I feel like that doctor in the doctor's office while he holds the syringe, filled with the medication that ails the illness that plagues your body, right before he sticks you, he says, okay now, this might hurt a little. So I was going to look you in the eye, put this camera on. Hey now, I love you. And this might hurt a little, but I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God. As times like this, I wish our seats came with seat belts. Because you're going to have to strap in. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting, somebody say cutting. Between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes the innermost thoughts and motives of the heart. I want to speak to you today on a message titled, Paper Cuts, When the Bible goes in. <laughs> Father God, we come into your presence today open and bare. Father, I pray a breaking down in Jesus' name of every defense, of every thought that would come against the thoughts of Christ. I pray that you would begin to plant seeds in our hearts, open up our minds. May we be sensitive to your word. Give me grace as I speak your word. Give me humility as I speak your word. And may your message find a home in the hearts of the hearers and listeners, both in the room and online today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we spoke about a couple weeks ago that the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And when we read Hebrews 4.12, we see the word sword. And it's important to know that in the Greek, the word for sword here is makaira. This is also where we get the word machete from or machete. And that should probably alarm you. <laughs> because, uh, you know, if, if the Bible's a machete, you know, I don't think I want the Bible, Lord. And I just want to encourage you today, I don't believe that the Bible is a man with a machete trying to kill you. Um, although that imagery is powerful and it's there, um, that's not it. In fact, the word makaira can have three different definitions in the Greek, which also shouldn't alarm you because many of our English words have multiple definitions. So the word run, for example, has 15 different definitions. You can run for office. You can leave the water running. You can run a race. You can have the runs. All of those things are different definitions of the word run. And what determines the definition is the context, right? The words before and after the word are what pulls out the meaning of that, of that word, what the author was intentioned to say, what he meant to say. And so when we do that here, I don't think that the Bible is saying, hey man, I'm a sword and I'm coming for you. I don't think that's what he's saying. There are three definitions of the word, makairo. It is sword, it is knife, and it is scalpel. 
And I think that it means scalpel. When you just look at the context of the sentence, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. So I don't know if you're catching the illusion or the imagery, but, but it looks like the author is trying to say like there's an operation or a surgery taking place. I also don't think it's a sword because it contrasts itself to a sword. It's saying, I'm not like that. Look at it again. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. So they say, I'm not a sword, I'm actually sharper than the sword, which is very interesting because at other points in the Bible, the Bible actually refers to itself as a sword. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So in Ephesians, the Word is a sword because it's doing battle with the enemy. But in Hebrews, the Word is a scalpel, and the scalpel has to be sharper than the sword. This is getting good. Because the scalpel has to do something that's even even more difficult than the sword. The, so the sword has to be sharp because it has to parry the enemy. But the scalpel has to be sharper, not because it has to parry the enemy, but because it has to do something even more difficult. It has to pierce the inner me. The hardest thing for the Bible to do is not fight the devil. That's easy. The Bible says that when the Word speaks, when God speaks, angels come and demons flee. At the name of Jesus, every demon, every spirit, just, it's, you turn on the light, the darkness runs. That's how it works. God's got the devil hemmed up. It's easy for the Word of God to fight the enemy. It's hard for God to fight us. Yeah. To, to break through the gates of hell is no problem for Jesus. But to break through the gates of your heart is a challenge all unto itself. And it is a painful one for us on the receiving end. Because when the enemy sends a storm, it hurts. Say amen. amen. If you ever been through a storm, say amen. But you know what hurts more? Not when the enemy sends a storm, but when God schedules a surgery. <laughs> and he opens up our hearts and he opens up our lives and he starts going, mm, that's not of me. Lord, that hurt. That's, that's a little painful. But that's... God, God is trying to do, he's not trying to hurt. He's trying to help. He's trying to speak to us. And this is how God does that, by the way. This is what we know about the Word of God. We see it in Hebrews 4.12. This is how it works. The Bible is alive. The Bible is alive. Now, not in the sense that it has a pulse, right? I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm not, not a crazy person. But it's alive like, and this is true, it's alive like, and maybe a little weird if you didn't know, but... It's alive like breast milk is a living substance. Yeah, I Googled it. Not that Google is your source of truth. <laughs> Let's go back to the word. But, but, but it's actually a living substance because it's full of cells and healthy bacteria. And what's so interesting about breast milk, listen, if you buy a formula in the store and you put water in, it's just like the other one. But no mother produces the same breast milk as another woman. Because every mother's breast milk actually adapts to the needs of the baby. This is science, y'all. If y'all don't believe God is real, don't study the Word, study biology. Like if the Bible's too hard for you, just look at the human body. Study the Word and biology, okay? If a baby is born with a protein deficiency and you were to test the breast milk of the mother of that baby, the breast milk of the mother of that baby has more protein than a mother whose baby does not have that deficiency. The body adapts to what the baby needs. This one blows your mind. This is true. I couldn't even, I had to verify my sources. 
when a mother's baby gets sick, somehow the mother's body knows and her breast milk produces more infection-fighting cells than when they're healthy. The milk becomes exactly what you need in the season that you need it. This is the Word of God. It's discerning to your situation. It's discerning to your weakness. And when you read it, it becomes what you need in that moment. One of the most encouraging and discouraging things that happens to me in the lobby after a preaching is when one of you guys come up and you go, Pastor JJ, that message, whoo, it was powerful. When you said that line and then you say something, that right there, that changed my life. That was the moment I opened up, gave my life to Jesus, and now I know I got to leave this person, I got to get right with God. That was it. That was the moment. I go, amen. That's awesome. And then I walk away and I go, I did not say that. <laughs> I did not say that. I mean, that was good, don't get me wrong, I'm going to use that next Sunday, but I didn't say that. <laughs> and I used to get so discouraged when they would tell me that in the lobby because I'm like, you ain't even paying attention. I spent hours on this thing and you can't even say it like I said it. That's not what I said. What are you doing while I'm preaching, you know? But then I started to realize, no, what was actually happening was I was preaching the Word of God. But the Word of God came out of my mouth one way. But then by the time it hits your soul, it hits your soul exactly how it needed to hit your soul, exactly the way that you needed to hit you. It became what you needed in that season. Listen, 10 of us can read one Bible verse and I'll come out with 10 different meanings. Because we'll be in 10 different situations in life. When you need hope, the Bible becomes hope. When you need joy, the Bible becomes joy. When you need strength, the Bible becomes strength. And when you need correction. The Bible becomes correction. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong with us. Verse 17, here's why. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what's right. Verse 17, and so that God can use it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. It stings, it hurts, but it's good. It's good. It's for your good. Oftentimes we think when someone tells us that we're wrong, they're trying to hurt us. But some of the people that come into our lives and hurt us by telling us that we're wrong are actually there to help us. When we were pregnant with Justice, our firstborn, I think it's always funny when men say we were pregnant. <laughs> but I think I'm legally allowed, um, according to science. But also, the baby's in her belly. So... I say that very lightly. <laughs> when she had a baby in her belly, the doctors told us that we could um, induce labor. I don't know if you know what that means. But when we got explained it, they were like, you can pick the date your baby is born. We are very scheduled to people. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't do it now, going back on it. We didn't have all the information. I, uh, I'm not a doctor, so I can't recommend for or against it, but I think we wouldn't do it again. But when he told us that we could pick the baby's birthday, I was like, yes, please. I got things to do that week. <laughs> I don't want to be at work. And when your baby's pregnant, I'm sorry, I got to leave this meeting. Now I'm going to schedule the meeting and the baby. <laughs> baby's coming at 2, we'll meet at 5. You know, just we'll get this thing done, you know, get it all happen. <clears throat> and uh, so we did. But unfortunately, Liz's body wasn't ready to give birth. And so even though we had induced and went through all the proper medical procedures, she was in labor for 20 plus hours. <laughs> her body was not feeling well, um, and, uh, and she was just cold sweats. And, and eventually, you know, year, hour 12, hour 13, the doctor was like, we might have to do a C-section. 
And then she was like, no way, don't want to do it, don't cut me, don't want to be cut, I want this baby to be born regularly, I don't cut me, she did not want to get cut open. And then uh, when it came to hour 20, the doctor looked at her. By that point, Justice had run out of amniotic fluid, and, um, you know, was slowly the space was confining, and the doctor looked at her and, uh, and said, if, if, if we don't, she said, we need to do, he said, we need to do a C-section now. When, when he said the word C-section, because Pastor Liz was tied up to the heart monitor. The doctor looked at me. He's like, you need to calm her down or she's going to go into cardiac arrest. I was like, babe, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she was like, I want to know about Jesus right now. Jesus ain't having this baby right now. <laughs> she didn't say that. Maybe she did. There was a lot of drugs involved, though. So, you know, forgive her for whatever happened. And then, and then I was just trying to calm her down. And then finally the doctor looked at her and said, listen, I know you're scared. said, but if we don't cut you open right now, we're going to lose the baby. At that point, Mama Bear kicked in. She said, they cut me open. And they went through the procedure. And it was painful. And her recovery was, was hurting. But, but he had to do it to save the life. Are you with me? Look, the Bible's not meant to cut us, but to help us. Even when helping us, means it has to cut us. <clears throat> and you need to know that when it comes to us and the Word of God, many of us are like patients in the birthing ward. And God is going to have to cut us open using His Word so that He can pull the best version of us out of us. But other times, we're like the patient in the cancer ward. And God has to cut us open, not to bring the best out of us, but to take the worst out of us. And now look at me. I'm going to look in the camera as I say this. I don't want to hurt you today, but I'm going to say some things that might hurt. But I'm not saying them to hurt you. I'm saying them to help you. I don't want to hurt you today. Lean in. But you've got some habits that are hurting you. And you've got some patterns of processing that are poisoning you. And you've got some beliefs in your life that are betraying you. And I've come today with the Word of God and a set of scissors <laughs> so that God can do in your life what he needs so he can pull out and take out so that you can have the life that you've been asking God for from the beginning. And the Bible's going to do that in three different ways in our life. So if you're taking notes, here's the first way that the Bible's going to come for us and help us and assist us. Number one, the Bible is going to shape your truth. The Bible will shape and it will snip and it will, it will shape your truth. Now, that's a very popular phrase in America today, your truth. You got your truth, I got my truth, he got his truth, she got her truth. And I'm all for liberty, and I'm all for making it personal, and I'm all for making it, you know, individual freedoms and all of that. But let me just say this, if you decide you want to follow Jesus, and this is only for people in the room who get to the point in their life where they say, I'm done doing it my way, I want to do it Jesus' way. If you decide that you want to follow Jesus, you can't have your truth. At that point, you got to submit to God's truth. And if your truth don't line up with God's truth. Because you know what's funny? We all say we want the truth, but we don't really want the truth. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like that movie, remember with Jack Nicholson? You can't handle the truth. I don't know that we want it. I know Pilate didn't want it. John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate, not the person who flies the plane, but Pilate the man, the Roman governor, 
was about to put Jesus in execution. He was, about to, he was on trial. He was about to execute him. And he looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? Now, I was taught that Jesus was silent at this moment, that he didn't put up a defense. But if you read through all the four Gospels and the account of Jesus with Pilate, every time Pilate asked Jesus an honest question that he wanted to know the answer to, Jesus answered it. So when he said, are you the king of the Jews, Jesus looked at him and he said, are you asking me or someone else? He didn't mind having a conversation with Jesus. So Pilate says, what is truth? And look at the very next thing that happens. Then he went back out to the Jews. So this is how I read it. He said, what is truth? Don't tell me. Because I got a government to keep running. I got a decision to make. I don't think I have time for the truth. I don't want to go down the journey where truth might take me. We all say we want truth, but then we don't stay around long enough to find out what that truth is. You know whether it's real obvious when we do it? With food. You ever heard that saying, you don't want to know how the sausage is made? <laughs> you don't want the truth. I don't. I love sausage. Don't say anything or show me anything that's going to ruin sausage for me. I don't want to know. People are like, are you sure? I'm sure. Have you seen those farms? Don't show me. Have you seen the machines? Don't care. Don't want to know. But I don't, because I know if I see it, it's going to ruin it for me. So leave me to my sausage. <laughs> in 2002, true story, in 2002, someone once told me, they said, did you know that Jell-O, you know, J-E-L-L-O, the Jell-O with the, the red, and do you know that Jell-O is made from horse hooves? I never looked it up. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. To this day, I don't know if it's true or not. But the last time I had Jell-O was in 2002. <laughs> I'm not trying to eat no ponies <laughs> up in here. Ruin it for me. Every time I see the jello move, I'm like, I can't do it. And I don't even know if it's true. Maybe someone in the room can redeem jello for me, but I just, I don't know. Or if you count macros, you ever count macros? You know what macros are? Like the macronutrients, they count the calories, the fat, the protein, the carbs. <clears throat> we started doing that, Pastor this and I, a couple years ago. And I remember the first time that we really, it hit us, we went to a restaurant called Johnny Rockets. And we ordered a burger, good old American burger, and some good greasy American fries. And then we looked at each other, we said, I still got space. You got space? Got space. Don't ever judge your food quantity by space. I was like, you got, got space? You got space? Yeah, we got space. Let's order a chocolate malt shake. Yes, amen. So we ordered a chocolate malt shake, not to share. One for each person. We drank that chocolate milkshake, then we pulled out our phones. We said, let's go add the macros to our calculator. And mine had one where it had the restaurant's ingredients in there, you know, like the, the macros for it. And so we put in Johnny Rockets. Let's start with the shake. Chocolate malt shake came out. 2,000 calories <laughs> in one shake. Now, I'm not a nutritionist, but I remember someone in school saying one day, that 2,000 calories is a whole day's worth of eating in one shake. I looked at Liz, I said, well, I guess we fast in tomorrow. Because <laughs> I think we just ate Wednesday. <laughs> I think we, just, we just ate the whole day, babe. We, we, we ate Wednesday in a shake. <laughs> It was bad. Listen, it's funny when it comes for our food. 
Not so funny when it comes for our politics. Not so funny when it comes for our values. Not so funny when it comes for our sexuality. And even as I say that, people squirm in their seats and I don't feel comfortable. I think I'm going to wait for it to get dark because I'm leaving. I'm out and I don't feel comfortable. Look, 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 look. Because for us, the truth should be a comfortable place. The truth should be a safe place. But you know the truth about truth? Here's the truth about truth. Sometimes the truth's not safe. Sometimes the truth is sharp. And it has to be because it has to cut through your most guarded possession. And before you take a guess at what it is, no, it's not your first edition holograph Charizard card. <laughs> and it's not your retro Jordans. And it's not your Tesla or your Mercedes. Do you know what your most guarded, what you have behind vaults and locks and moats and alligators and lasers? And you know what you got really guarded and locked up? Not your J's, not your cards, not your cars. Your most guarded possession is your beliefs. Don't come from my beliefs. Beliefs are the things we fight people about on Thanksgiving. Don't you mention this topic, this topic, or that topic, because these, these are the things that I believe. And the funny thing about beliefs is we know we get them when we're born, we're a blank sheet of paper. We don't have any beliefs as a baby. All we want is milk and change my diaper. That's the extent of our beliefs as a baby. But this is how our beliefs are made. The very first people to imprint on our beliefs. Parents, right? And their beliefs oftentimes become our beliefs, right? And, and that's okay if, if, if their beliefs are like, hey, brush your teeth before you go to bed at night. You know, that's okay if like in my house, like become a Jets fan, even though it's killing you and crushing your soul every single day of your life. And, you know, we, we pass on our sports teams. We pass on our beliefs. That's okay if those things, if those are innocent. But it's a problem when some of the beliefs we begin to pass down look like this. I don't know if you can zoom in and see that right there. Can you see it? No? Okay, I'll just... Oh, my bad. My finger covering it? Does that help? How close do I got to get? Are y'all here? <laughs> Can y'all see it? R-A-C-I-S-M. Racism. Now look at me. That was a bad... Whatever we just did there was not good. You gotta... I'm going to write like four more things. I need you to lean in. Now listen. How else do you think something like racism can last centuries? How else do you think that can get passed down from generation to generation to generation? It's a parent telling their kid, we're better than someone else because the color of our skin is different than them. These people are our enemies because they look this certain way, making off-the-cuff comments on Christmas or holidays or... And then that seeps into us, even when we realize it's wrong, it's still so embedded in us that subconsciously we have prejudices. Our beliefs work like that. Sometimes the thing that impresses itself on our belief, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Culture. The world that we live in. And I don't know about you, but it seems like every time I turn on YouTube or I'm, I'm, I see an influencer on social media, it just seems like the thing that they're always talking about is 
money and hustling. Like, it's what life is all about. Like, if I make money, this is my belief, I'll be happy. If I have my own business and I take it to the next level, I'll be happy. That's the message that they say. Here's something else in life that shapes our beliefs. That's what this paper represents. Trauma. If you're not careful, your trauma can become your truth. So a man abused you when you were a child, now all men are. As unfair and evil and wicked as that was, we took that moment and we made truth out of a moment. Your parents are divorced, you got two holidays, it messed you as a child, it affected you, it hurt you, so now you grow up, I don't believe in marriage. I don't believe in marriage because of the trauma that I experienced, so my trauma is my truth. Another one, this is, this is, this is the part that's going to hurt the most. Big one right here is where we get our beliefs from. Oof. I'll put it in a box. Feelings. So if I feel it, it must be true. So if I'm sexually attracted to a certain type of person, then because I feel this way, and this way is natural to me, this feels natural, how can I feel this way and that not be true? And we accept the truth without ever examining if it's true. You know why? Because we don't want to know where that journey is going to take us. To, to accept that that might not be true is a complete redefinition of who I am and what I believe, and I don't know that I'm ready for that journey, so we fold up our beliefs. We hide them in our heart, lock and key, don't touch my beliefs. But then one day, a person with differing beliefs meets Jesus. And the moment you meet Jesus and you start reading the Bible, here's what the Bible begins to do to those beliefs. So, so you got that racism that's been passed down, that belief, and, and all of a sudden you read a verse like Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, woof. Those beliefs. Ooh, and it hurts, y'all. It hurts. Because we're not just cutting at your beliefs, we're cutting at your memories, we're cutting at mom, we're cutting at dad, we're cutting at me. Listen, I'm not saying something I haven't done myself. I remember growing up in church, and I was in my early 20s, I decided, am I a Christian because mom and dad made me a Christian? Or am I a Christian because I actually believe in this person called Christ? And I went to the University of Florida, and I studied religion, and none of my teachers believed in God. Not one. I studied Hinduism, I studied Buddhism, I studied <clears throat> Confucianism, I studied Islam. That's the thing. <laughs> he sounds confused. No, it's a thing. <laughs> Even my Christian classes, my Old Testament teacher was an atheist. Smartest man I've ever met when it comes to the Old Testament. And I had to find out, do I believe this because I believe? I got to examine my beliefs. So then you get into a passage like Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Money's all culture, hustle, is that what it's about? Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Because in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Oh man, I don't think I should be spending so, I don't care what Gary V says. I don't think I should be spending enough time 
building so much of my life around something that's going to leave me here today and gone tomorrow. Uh-uh. Our trauma that tries to define us, our trauma that tries to be true. Isaiah 53, 5, I know that pain was real, but look what the Bible says. He, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Can I translate that for you? Don't let your trauma define you. Let Jesus define you. What happened to you, happened to you. But it's not you. It's what happened to you. Jesus is you. Snip, snip, cut, cut. What about my feelings? I've got this sexual attraction and I, it's got to be because I feel it and it's natural and it's got to be true. 1 Corinthians 6.13, Paul says, you say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. Those are natural feelings. Hunger, go get something to eat. It's the way I am. It's the way God made me. Next verse. But you can't say our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. Oh. And he cuts, and he cuts, and he cuts until you look like Jesus. And this is what the Word of God does. It snips, and it snips, and it cuts, and it cuts until our heart aligns with the heart of God. It cuts at us. But unfortunately, this is not what a lot of us do, y'all. Here's what a lot of us do. This is a photocopy of the Bible. This is not an actual page of the Bible. Your boy's not trying to go to hell. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not cutting the Bible. But this is what we do. We read the Bible and we go, I don't like that part. Nah, that don't align with my lifestyle. My dad taught me this. I don't agree. No, culture says this. This can't be right. And we cut, and we cut, and we cut, and we snip, and we snip at every word of God until and instead of allowing the Bible, <laughs> you like it? I'm good, right? <laughs> lean in, lean in, because this is the part that I was praying about the most, the part that I thought would offend you the most. That's why I had to be funny about it. Instead of allowing the Bible to shape you into the image of Jesus, you've shaped the Bible into the image of you. I want it to look like me. I want it to say what I believe. I want it to stand for what I stand for. I want it, yo, that's not how truth works. Why well, should I, Pastor, I just disagree with some of the things. I hope that you would disagree with it. Because if you agree with everything that you read in the Bible, maybe you're the God in your Bible. My boys were playing sequence. You ever play sequence as a board game? It's, and you, got, you get cards and you get little tokens and you got to line them up and you got to make five in a row. And so they were playing, usually I'm the referee. When you got a 10-year-old and 11-year-old playing a game, you need an adult. They're like, that's not how the game's played. You need rules. But I was on the living room just trying to just read a book, and I can hear them in the back. And every time they would do something illegal, the kid who did it said, no, no, that's a rule I just made up. <laughs> you ever play with somebody like that? That's a rule I just made up. So then the other kid was like, oh, word, okay, that's a rule I just made up. And they played a whole game. The rule they just, and never once did they make a wrong move because they kept making up the rules as they go along because there was no ref, there was no authority. If you read the Bible and you're always right, maybe it's because you're making up the rules as you go along. 
this means that, this means this. Oh, it's got to mean that. It means it can't mean that because then that would mean changes for me. And so, oh, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And by the way, you can do this, but when you do this, you don't just strip it of its text. You strip it of its power. It's not the Bible that lost its power. It's your version of it. You know? It's the NIV, not the UIV. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes we do that. I'm not trying to come for anybody, and I hope you still call this church home. But at the end of the day, I care more about your attendance in heaven than I do about your attendance in this building. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's the other thing the Bible's going to do. Listen, the Bible exposes our excuses. Hebrews 4.12, his powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us up to listen and obey. I love that. Whether doubt or defense, this is the message version, doubt or defense. Because if you try and cut me while I'm awake, my defenses are going to kick in. You prick me, pff, don't prick me. Don't try and cut me. But in order for, hopefully the next time you go into surgery, the doctor puts you to sleep. <laughs> And when you are asleep, you got no defenses. You can't fight, you can't push, you can't punch, you can't swing. And this is what the Word of God does so well. Listen to me. It, put, it, it opens you up so that you have no defense or argument. Because you know what we'll do when something is, is wrong in our life? The first thing we'll do, we'll make excuses. And we'll justify it. Say amen. Come on, you know you do it. You know where we do it the most, you and me? You know where we do it the most? With lying. You ever justify lying? Like, no, this is a really good time to lie. Come on now. Like, God is pleased with this lie. <laughs> this is the kind of lie that God is in heaven, like wisdom, you know? Like, no, I don't know. I don't, like tax season. Yeah. Because we're going to make excuses for why we don't report accurately. You're right. We're going to look at that little box that says, claim your dependence. And going to be like, what do you mean by dependent? Also, who's asking and how close are you looking? Because, I mean, technically, technically, I got two kids, but I also got one cat, and this cat eats food. I'm pretty sure this cat depends on me <laughs> to survive. <laughs> so that's three dependents. Plus, there's these two neighborhood cats. <laughs> I come by every once in a while. I leave milk out for those neighborhood cats. That milk is expensive. And I'm pretty sure those cats would be dead if it wasn't for me. Those cats are dependent on me. That's five dependents. And I got 10 plants. <laughs> and those plants require water. <laughs> you lie, you do it. You, you had your prize. And that's a water bill. <laughs> I'll pay if that water's not free. If those plants want to live, they can go outside. But those plants live in my house. Now, under my roof, I provide for those plants. That's 15 dependents. <laughs> and then you read a verse in the Bible. Oh, and then on top of that, we'll use, listen, we'll, we'll even further why it's okay to cheat that way. Because I don't even trust the way the government's going to spend that money anyway. So I'm going to give them money if I don't even trust. And on top of that, I didn't even vote for that guy. I think that ought to be a rule. If you didn't vote for that guy, you shouldn't have to pay taxes. <laughs> You only, you only pay taxes if your team won. <laughs> That's funny. I don't mean it, government. If you're looking, it's <laughs> a joke. We pay our taxes here. Um, and then we justify it. Like, like that. And then the Bible does this. Listen, the Bible says, 
put it up on the screen. Uh, Proverbs 21.6, then the Bible says, Proverbs 21, 6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And they were like, yeah, but Lord, but the, but, the, but the government, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. But Lord, them plants, those plants are important. They bring oxygen. The whole world's dependent on my plants. And the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And you got no excuse and you got no reason and you can't argue because the Bible keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. So finally you go, oh, okay, I'll tell the truth. I have two dependents. But one of them is my nephew. It's not even, a, it's not even one, Lord. <laughs> and we come, why? Because when we read the Bible, listen, the Bible reads us. When you open up your Bible, get ready for your Bible to open you up. And get inside of you and start to read and speak to you. And when it does, listen, here's what the Bible will do last. Listen, the Bible will cut the heart. It'll cut to the heart. Hebrews 4.12 it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We do not like that word judges in American culture. Don't you judge me. The Bible's like literally why I'm here. <laughs> Stop judging me. Nobody can judge me. Literally why I was created. Like I'm a judge. When you can't judge me, I just, I made you. So I don't know. Maybe I can. Judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I got a DEXA scan a couple years ago was the first time I ever did it. You know what DEXA scan is? There's a machine. You got to lay bare, can't move, no defenses. The skin, this, this machine scans you and shows you how much of your body is bone, how much of your body is muscle, and how much of your body is fat. And you pay for this. <laughs> and I remember when I went for my scan, I told Liz, I said, because I had just finished working out from this season, I was bulking up. I was bulking up. And I thought, I feel strong. I said, I think my body fat percentage is going to be somewhere around 12%, which is like, Olympic athlete. I looked at the mirror and thought I was an Olympic athlete. <laughs> it's going to be 50, it's going to be 12%. We went into the scan. We sat down and did the scan. After the scan, the, the lady who did the scan said, so Mr. Vasquez, where do you think you are on the scan? I said, well, I, be, I was being humble. I was like, I thought 12% at home. So I was like, 15%. I don't want to be too arrogant, too prideful. 15, 16%. She goes, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I knew right there. She said, you're actually at 28% body fat. And then she put out this chart that was like, and according to your age, okay, technically, according to the American Health Association, you're obese. <laughs> I thought I was an Olympic athlete. <laughs> now, listen, I'm not coming for anybody's body type or anything like that. What scared me was that she said, and not noting that you're also Hispanic, you have high chance of heart disease, and if you don't make any changes, this can kill you. I left there discouraged, cut, but also grateful that I saw who I really was, not who I thought I was. The Bible will scan you and show you that you are not as good as you think you are, which we need. But honestly, 90% of the people in this room don't need that. 90% of the people in this room, you came to church today and you already know you were jacked up. Like me. 10% of y'all, you need to know your breast thing, okay? You just need to know. You're not perfect, okay? You got issues. We all got issues. But 90% of us, if we're honest, we knew that before we got here. By the way, church is not a place you go because you think you're perfect. Church is a place you go because you know you're not. I need a savior. But for those of us who already know we're broken, who already know we're flawed, the Bible will cut us in a different way. When I have my issue and I open up to my wife about my addiction, 
I was ready for her to leave the house. I was ready for her to pack a bag. I was ready for her to cuss me out. I was ready for her to maybe sleep on the couch. When I said all that, she looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry you've been going through all that. I forgive you. I want to work through this with you, and I love you. And nothing in that moment could have cut me deeper than her grace. You know what will cut you deeper than God's judgment? God's grace. You want to know how the Bible cuts me now? I mean, it still shows me I got some issues. But you know, how, you know what really gets me crying? It's not the, oh, man, I got problems. I'm, I'm glad when I hear that. I can get better. Here's what cuts me, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Any sinners in the house today? I'm one. He still died for us. Hebrews 9, 12. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God, something to cling to. Instead, he skydived from heaven, gave up his divine privilege, humbled himself, and died a criminal's death on a cross for me. Ah! John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ah! And what makes me cry now is not what made me cry in the beginning. What makes me cry when I read the Bible now, what brings me to my knees is His grace. Listen, this is the last thing I'll say and then we'll pray. The Bible wants us to see how lost we are so that we can realize how loved we are. And you are so loved. You are so loved. Yes, you got problems. Yes, you got issues. And yes, you are loved. So I'll pray for two people real quick as the time winds down. Bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray for every believer. I know this is a crazy prayer to pray, but the longer you've been in church, all my people who've been growing up in church, I know who you are, you know who you are, especially if you grew up in church. Can you ask the Lord, Lord, resensitize my heart to my own sinfulness? Because I've been coming for a long time to church now, and I think I might have tricked myself into thinking that I'm good. I know I'm not. Help me see it so that I can experience your love in a greater way. Be in that moment right there. Everyone else, I want you to pray this prayer. Listen, if you're here today and you are far from God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says in Acts 2.37, the people were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now listen, the baptism pool, we put those away last week. You don't got to get wet today. But if you heard this message, you go, Pastor JJ, you cut me. I know that I need to make changes in my life and I'm ready to give Jesus all of me. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to raise your right hand high to God. Jesus, I need you in my life. All over this building on the count of three. One, two, three. Right now, raise that right hand high. You cut me. I need it. I'm coming home. I don't want to fight anymore. He laid me bare. I've got no defenses. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Put your hand down. Let's pray this prayer out loud whether you raise your hand or not. Father God, here I am. I lay myself bare. All right, now be careful. This is dangerous. Say, cut me, Lord. Go in, take out what needs to take out so that I can be who you called me to be, so I can have joy, so I can have life, so that I can have forgiveness. I'm your patient. You're my king. I love you, Jesus. My life is yours. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together for those who made a decision.
hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.